Good morning, everybody. So glad to be back in here again today as we continue persevering through the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, fire up your devices to Romans chapter 13. If you don't have one, please grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. They're pre-marked with today's passage, and we'd love to give that to you as a small gift. It's not much, but we believe having God's Word is one of the greatest gifts that we have. So we want to give that to you if you don't have one. Please take it with you. So we're going to continue on as we're finishing up this little... uh, almost like a mini-series that Paul has, has put in here. If you remember the, the first uh, 11 chapters, Paul was really laying out everything that God's done, and now he's shifting into what our conduct is on it. And he talks about our spheres of influence. Quick recap, because I think it's important to remember where, how these all tie together. The first issue he talks about our, our, our conduct is he talks about our conduct with God. There in the beginning of chapter 12, he says that we are to present ourselves, our bodies, as living and holy sacrifices. In other words, everything that we do, every, every breath we take, every, every uh, action that we, we do in our lives should be to glorify God. He is our first and foremost relationship. Uh, the second piece he talks about there is our conduct within the church, within the body of believers, and how, how we are to come together. God has equipped us, prepared us for the mission he has how he's given each one of us gifts, and he also talks about how we're to live with one another, how to support one another without hypocrisy, without condemnation, but with guidance, lifting up the, the, the saints to find a way to do it in peace because he knows that as humans, as men and women, we often have selfish desires, and we will struggle with that, and we'll want to butt heads, and so he wants us to see our conduct there within the four walls. He then, last week, he shifted into our conduct with those in authority, those who God have, has placed in places of power, the ruling parties that are all around this world. We, we came to see that the government is there because God has put them there, and they have a reason. I'm so thankful that uh, God allowed me to preach last week on paying taxes in case you didn't see your new assessment here in Hooksit this week. Uh, I'm glad it was last week, (laughs) Uh, but we know God's got a plan for that too, and he'll work it all out, Uh, so we're going to take a deep breath and not go dive off the rails yet. But now we're going to shift into this fourth, as Paul has has been bringing this from God to the church to authority, to now he's going to take it into our conduct within the largest sphere of influence we have, because we can't change God. Nothing we can do is changing God. We are the one that changes. So our conduct does not influence God in any way, shape, or form. He can't cause him to love us any more than he already does. He's loved us so much that he died for us. He poured out blood for us. He has redeemed us. And so we can't do anything to change that. Our conduct in the church, we can only do so much there. But God has a plan for each one. And I can't change the gifts that God has given to you no more than you can change the gifts God has given to me. And so we have to come and work together, but we still want to do this in a way that helps to to edify and to unify. The government, the authority, we have some influence in that. We can use our power of election to vote in those whose beliefs follow our beliefs. But we're still limited in the fact that authority still has power over us that we can't control. And we have to be in submission to them. But this last section, this last section is where we have our most influence. As a church, this is what we have been created for. You see, we have been created not for ourselves, but for others. We've been redeemed to go and reach others. And so Paul wants to talk about what it looks like now with our conduct with those who are unbelievers. Those who are outside of the body of Christ. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus. 
And he wants us to see what that looks like. You know, that's what God is doing with us. He's shaped us and he's molded us to look more like Jesus so that we can go out there. How do we do this? How, how does God shape us? It's part of our sanctification process. As we seek to do God's will, he shapes and molds us to go on mission. How do we do God's will? You often hear me say it's three ways. We deny self, we emulate Christ, and we obey the scriptures. And in doing those three things, we will look more like Jesus. And when we look more like Jesus, we can go fulfill the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and the whole earth. This is our Jerusalem. Our our small sphere of influence is our Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria are the surrounding areas, the surrounding country, and of course the ends of the earth. That's why we send missionaries all over. So what's it look like? Now, knowing what God has done, where he's brought us from, and what he's calling us to do, what's that look like in our conduct? Well, join me as we read through this passage. We're going to look at at this, as I've titled this, and my wife kind of raised her eyebrow at this, at a new form of love. As we look at this new form of love that Paul is going to help shine the light on. So if you would, I'd ask if you can, please stand in reading of honor of or honor of reading of God's word. We're going to read 8 through the end of this chapter. So beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this, saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we invite you in today. Speak into us. Send your spirit here into this place to guide us in our walk with those who are not near to you. So, Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, Paul is is transitioning into a a new section. And he really uses a a pretty interesting way to make this transition. Because as we kind of spoke about there, and if we look just back before this, he was talking about paying taxes. He says, pay taxes for the ruler's servants of God. And he says, render to all what is due to them, tax to whom taxes do. Custom whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And he's going to build upon that, use that as his transition, because he's just told the people that they need to give up their finances to not hold on so tightly with them. But he talks about so much more in there. He's talking about custom and fear and honor. And he says then in verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone. Owe nothing to anyone. What a transition talking about paying taxes and he's saying, oh, nothing to anyone. Give up. Don't have anything that can be held against you. As Christians, we should never have an outstanding debt 
something that we don't pay back. We should always pay back, and it may be financially. We need to make sure that we are good stewards of the money God has given to us. But it may be honor. It may be fear. It may be something else. But he's saying, don't, hold on, we shouldn't be holding on to anything else. Now, biblically, Christ talks about loaning money. He speaks about making, giving those in need, giving loan. We're not supposed to take advantage of the situation. But Paul's not talking about that here. He's saying, don't have anything that you can't repay. But there is one thing that we won't be able to fully repay in this world. One debt we will owe, one obligation, and that obligation we have is for the welfare of others. He says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Except to love one another. There is a debt, no matter how hard we try to pour it out, no matter how much we try to pour love on our neighbors, on our friends, on our family, we will never fully be able to empty that cup of love. Why? Because God is pouring his love out on us. Every day, God is pouring love into us. John tells us that we love because he loved us first. And so he is constantly filling that cup up that we're trying to pour out. We're trying to pour that love of God into others. And so he says there is something that we won't be able to fully pay. That's caring for others, seeking the welfare of others. That's part of who we are. You hear us talk about it here, Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city in which I've placed you. That's the love we're trying as Fellowship Church to pour out on our city. We're trying to pour out this love God has poured onto us into them. Trying to pour a love into them that we can't ever empty. Paul says the reason that we do this is because for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. You notice there's a shift there because he says love one another. You could easily, if you'd stopped right there, go, yeah, see, I'm supposed to love my brothers in Christ. I'm supposed to love the people in the church. Paul says to love one another. But then he says he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That's not necessarily our brothers and sisters in Christ. It may be. I'm, I'm privileged right now. One of my neighbors is my brother and sister in Christ. She lives right next door. Another one of my lovely neighbors is here today, and I get to pour love out on them. But some of my neighbors aren't. They're not believers. But they still are people I can love on. Your neighbors are people we can love on. But sometimes you may have to love on neighbors that don't want you to love on them. You may have to love on people that don't want anything to do with you, that aren't like us, that don't look like us, that don't act like us. They may, they may not even believe like you believe. And what do we do in those times? What do we do in those times when they don't want anything to do with us? It happens. It happens more than we like to think. Sometimes we got to love on people that don't love us back, that never will reciprocate that love to us. Christ gives an example of what this looks like to love on Someone who is different. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. Quick recap on it. Gentleman is leaving from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. The implication is he is a Jewish man. And he's leaving from Jerusalem and he gets attacked by robbers. And he's laying on the side of the road, beaten and bloody and dying. And as he's laying there dying, hoping somebody will come, he sees a priest coming. Probably a priest he has seen numerous times in the temple. 
And as that priest comes up, that priest sees him, and he goes to the other side of the road. And he walks around him, and he goes on his way. Laying there dying, still waiting for somebody to come, he sees a Levite come. The Levite, their job was to take care of the priests and what they needed. And so he sees the man, and he's like, no, I ain't got time for that. I got other stuff to do. And he goes the other side of the road, and he continues on down his way. The people that were supposed to love him kept going. And then he looks and he sees a man come down the road who's a Samaritan, a man from Samaria. The Samarians and the Israelites did not get along. When they were trying to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans did everything they could. Samarians did everything they could to keep that from happening. When they were in exile, the Israelites and the Samaritans intermarried. And there was disdain. There was hatred for them. They were different. They wanted nothing to do with them. They built their own temple, created their own God. And he's laying there, and I'm sure he's thinking, I don't want this guy to come. Lord, if there's anybody else but this guy. But the Samaritan comes across the road to him. The Samaritan wraps bandages around him, takes time out of his day to wrap bandages, to pour oil on him, takes him to the inn, puts him on his mule to take him to the inn. He walks while his enemy rides. He puts him in the inn, and he gives the innkeeper money, and then he says, anything else he needs... I'll come back and I'll take care of it. Whatever he needs, he loved on the one who didn't love him. The one that wanted nothing to do with him. He loved his neighbor. And in doing so, he fulfilled the law. That's what we're called to do. Listen, how many times have we thought, no, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't, I don't. I'm just going to stay out of that. Or how many times have we walked by and gone, I'm too busy right now for them. I know they need somebody, but I'm just, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. How many times have instead we gone out of our way? Have we sacrificially given up our time, give up of our finances, give up of, of our things for the one that we know wants nothing to do with us? That's what we're called to do. That's this new form of love. I call this the cruciform love. It's a form that looks like the cross. Sacrificial. All caring. Paul says that when we do this, we're fulfilling the law. See, the Old Testament gave the rules on how to love people. Gave rules on what they were supposed to do. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul goes into in verse 9. He quotes there. You can see it there. You shall not commit adultery. Shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. Paul is quoting out of Exodus. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. If you had been with us on uh, Thursday night, you would have heard as we talked about sin, we actually talked about the Ten Commandments. The first five commandments God gave, they were directions on how we are to love him. And then the last five, this is four of the five, are directions on how we're to love people. Because when we love God, we're going to love people because we realize they're made in his image. If we don't love God, we're not going to love other people. That's why Paul talked about first. Our first conduct is with God. And people come afterwards. But in the same instance, if we don't love people, realizing who they are, that they are God's creation, we're not truly loving God. And so Paul says these, and he says, and if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. Jesus said these exact same words. Jesus quoted this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. They've asked him, Lord, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Knowing they're trying to test him, Christ breaks it down easy. He knows we're kind of dumb, and sometimes we need it in simple terms. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It's all wrapped up in loving God and loving people. He says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's crucial. Because if we're going to be honest, we really love ourselves. We all do. We have a deep concern for ourselves. Yes, there are some people that maybe are struggling with some mental problems that don't. But for the vast majority of us, we love ourselves more than anybody else ever will. We have a pride in our lives, a pride in ourselves. We take pride in what we do. We take care of ourselves. We, we give ourselves the things we need. We all do it. How many of us walk by a mirror without looking in it? We love ourselves. And if we love ourselves that much, we need to apply that same amount of love on the people around us. We need to love our neighbors just like we love ourselves. Because I got news. I don't want anybody to murder me. I don't want anybody to steal from me. So why would I do that to them? I don't care how mad they've made me, how much they dislike me. And people dislike us. People dislike the church. If any of you waste part of your life like I do on Facebook, you may have seen on one of the local boards, there was people talking about a book that got mailed out last week. I'm sure you guys probably got it. Most of you got it. It's from a Seventh-day Adventist. I highly do not recommend the book because there's a lot of misconstrued information in it. But people were upset. They just saw it as the church. They just saw it as religion, and they were mad. And from there, the conversation progressed into old home days. And we were part of old home days. We had service here that morning. We had people that came in while it was happening. But people were complaining because one of the churches down there was handing out comic strips that talked about the beast. And they didn't like that. And then somebody chimes in, you go to old home days for the fun and leave because it's inundated with churches. There were five churches out of 100 booths. And it was too many. Five of us. Too many. People don't like us. But it doesn't change how we are to love on people. It didn't change how Christ loved on people. Christ knew they were going to beat him. He knew they were going to mock him. He knew they were going to scourge him. They were going to nail him to a cross. And he still loved on the people. And so that's what we're called to do is to love because it fulfills the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor it does no wrong. And so even if they're not wanting it, even if they don't want anything to do with us, it does no wrong. And therefore, it's a fulfillment of the law. And I want to stop on this for just a moment. Because there's two pieces about love that we got to make sure we don't misconstrue. One, you'll hear a lot of people say that all we need is love. There's a famous song written, I'm not going to, you to have to hear me sing that one too. 
But all you need is love. That's all we need is love. And if we just got to love on people, that takes care of it. We don't need to worry about the Old Testament. We don't need to worry about the law anymore because we've got love. Now, yes, the Old Testament was very legalistic. It gave the legal ways people needed to live their lives. And on the New Testament, there's not a whole lot of guidance in that. It's a lot more grace-filled. But we will never, ever fully love somebody. Fully love people like God wants us to love people this side of glory. It won't happen. And so it's, it's, it's a dangerous path to walk to say that love has replaced everything else. To say that love has replaced the law. It fulfills it, but it doesn't replace it. We still need the law. God gave it to give them guidance. It tells us what his will is. And while the the New Testament believer under the new covenant is not bound by the law, it's still there to guide us. It lets us know what God wants us to do. It gives us the direction because just to say we need to love is a very broad subject. But if it says you do that by not murdering people, you do that by not committing adultery, false witness, stealing, lying, mistreating, gossiping, It's giving us more guidance. It also corrects us when we make mistakes. So we want to make sure that we don't say that all we need is love and we cast out the Old Testament. We cast out the old side because we need both. But there's a more dangerous aspect to this, to this idea that all we need is love. Because we can take this version of love and we can misshape it especially if we're casting out the Old Testament. We can misconstrue it, misunderstand it, and now this is not the love that God truly has for us because it's not in God's will. It starts to misrepresent what love is, and it starts to lead people down a dangerous path. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But before we get there, Paul tells us, he says, do this, loving your neighbor, Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Paul, he's using this because in that society, during that time, everything was based on when the sun was up. They didn't have artificial lights like we have that we could turn a dark room light. When we could work 24 hours a day, that's why we're so overworked because we don't know when we're supposed to stop. God gave us the sun to tell us it's time to stop. We made artificial suns and now we work all the time. But Paul was telling them, it's time to wake up. People at that time would have got up before the sun was up, so they were ready to go to work because they wanted to be done with their work before the heat of the day came, before the scorching heats there in the Middle East were beating down on them. They wanted to get their work done. So Paul's saying, we can't be slackers. He's saying, you guys got to love on who you got to live on mission. Love your neighbors because you know the time. He says, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Listen, we know we are closer to glory now than we've ever been. Jesus will return. We don't know when. Christ says only the Father knows when. But what we know is it's closer now than it's ever been. We are closer right now than we have ever been to the return of Christ, to the heat of the day when Jesus is going to come and redeem this earth. And we've got a mission we need to be doing. We need to be reaching out to others and sharing the gospel. Time is ticking. We're near to that moment. 
We can't live our lives as slackers. And listen, it's easy to do. Hey, I'm good. I've got my faith. I got saved. I know where I'm going. And we don't fulfill the Great Commission. We don't do what God's called us to. You guys have heard me say, I'm sure. You'll hear me say it a lot. I hate, and I'm praying for God to work on my heart with this one. I'm using a big word there. As my son says, hate is a big word. It is. I hate when brothers and sisters in Christ say, Lord Jesus, come soon. I hate that term. I hate that saying. Because that is about the most selfish thing we could say. Eight billion people on this earth right now. Eight with a B. Billion. Count every person one per second. Take you about 240 years to count them all. Eight billion. Two billion are Christians or say they're Christians. That's six billion people when we make that statement that we're saying, God, it's okay if you send them to hell. Because I'm happy with where I am. I'm content in the life I have and the promises I have. I just want all that love you're pouring in. I want it to be mine. It's not what he's told us to do. We have this cruciform love, the love that looks like the cross. What's the love look like the cross for? It was poured out for all men. It was love that was poured out so that all could know of Christ. Poured out for everybody. The sins of the world. Paul says the night, in verse 12, the night is almost gone. It's our earthly lives. That's the earth. The night is almost gone. And the day is near. That's the return of Christ. That is when the day of glory will come. And it is near. He says, therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the our light. We can't keep walking in brokenness. We can't keep looking like this world. We have to take on that new form of love. And we have to put on the armor of light, holiness, and love on our neighbors. And this is why I want to talk about this love because this love is an all-encompassing love. This love is a sacrificial love, but this love is not an affirming love. We need to love on our neighbors in a way that's holy. We need to love on our friends and our family that aren't believers in a way that's holy and say, I love you just where you are. Jesus loves you where you are, but I've, I've got to tell you, what you're doing is going against God's will. We've got to do it in ways that are loving. It's what Paul is saying in these last two verses. He says, let us behave properly as in the day when Christ returns. He says, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not strife or jealousy. He's saying, we can't do it by being sinners. I've heard too many people say, well, I'm just living my life this way. I'm doing this, that way I don't push my neighbor away. Listen, you can go to two extremes. You can say, I'm not having my neighbor come over to watch a football game because I know he'll bring a beer with him and I'm not going to have that. And we can also go to the other extreme and say, I'm going to get drunk with my neighbor so that he thinks I'm like him. And I don't push him away. And Paul says, no. God says, no. We need to live in a way to holy. I got news for you. When you live that's so drastically different without being judgmental, allowing them to know what God's word says, people they ask questions. They're drawn to it. Drawn to it like light. 
That's that armor of light. All it takes is one little candle to push the darkness away in a room. What would two billion Christians on fire for Christ look like in the world? How much light would go out if we were loving? But we can't do it if we're living in sin. We can't do it if we're acting like the world. They won't know who we are compared to who the rest of the world is. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ loved the sinners. He ate with the sinners. Jesus was with the tax collectors. Jesus was with the prostitutes, but he didn't become like they were. And he also corrected them. Jesus, what did he tell them? When he met with them, what did Jesus tell them to do? Did he just say, I love you and I'm going to die for you? He said, no, he said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent of your sins and come to me. He corrected their mistakes. He loved on them. He didn't berate them over it. But he told them that they were doing something wrong. And he told them to not go sin anymore. We need to be loving our friends, our neighbors in such a way that we're letting them know that what they're doing is not in God's will and they shouldn't be doing it. But I'm going to love you regardless. I'm going to love you, but I need you to see that you're not in God's will. If we look at the, the woman who was brought before Christ... The prostitute that was brought, and they, again, are judging Christ. It's in John. And they say she has been found with other men. The law says we need to stone her. Christ knows they're testing him. What's he say? He is without sin. Cast the first stone. They all put the rocks down. They all leave. And then Christ says, where are those who have condemned you? And she says, there are none. And what's he tell her? That I can't, don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He didn't stop and just say, well, I don't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. Too many churches are not preaching the full God's word. They're not preaching about sin. They're not preaching about repentance. They're given only the goodness of God. And that leads people down a road that's going straight to hell. We can't have the good if we don't know why we're bad. We've got to own our part. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to own it. We have to repent. He says in Ezekiel that I wish for none to die, but for all to repent and be saved. To repent and live. 1 John 1.9. We have that promise, and we love that promise. We talked about it on Wednesday night. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, righteous, just, to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go, Yes! All I got to do is tell God what I did wrong, and he's going to forgive us. That's right. He's going to forgive us if you own your part, if we confess our sins. We've got to own our part. And so we can't take love so far to the extreme that we're just affirming sin. Because that's not what we were called to do. That's not a cruciform love. We've got to love on people fully, truthfully, wholeheartedly, and honestly. And sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes people are going to hear things they don't want to hear. 
I hear things I don't want to hear. I need that corrected. My wife corrected me, and I didn't want to hear it last night. I let her know I didn't want to hear it, and then I had to go and humbly ask for forgiveness. But sometimes we got to point out that we're sinning because people don't know what the word sin means anymore. And we don't know what repent means anymore. And we think it's okay because we're telling people that God made us that way. And whatever it might be. And I'm not picking on any one sin. I don't want you to think I am. Because we affirm all sorts. He's having a friend's wife. It's okay. He can't help himself. He's just a, he's got problems at work. No, we're affirming the sin. We've got to love on them and correct them. That's this new form of love that we see Paul talking about in our conduct with believers. Cruciform love is tough. You may have to love on somebody who hates you. Someone who has no desire to do anything with you, to hear from you, and they hate you. They may want to persecute you. A boss that holds it against you because you're talking about Christ and he wants to persecute you and make your job hard. We may have to love on those who are living in sin, whatever that sin might be, whether it is adultery, whether it is thievery, whether it's LGBTQ, whatever it is, we're going to have to love on people who are living in sin. Cruciform love is loving on that homeless person, that person that smells so bad and is so filthy, you don't want anything to do, you want to walk the other side of the street. We're called to go and love on them, to love on those who are hungry, the stranger, those that are different from us, to love on the children that can't speak for themselves. That's why we take a stand against abortion. Those who can't speak for themselves, to, to love on the kids who don't have families to love on them. They live in homes filled with addiction, homes where they are beat on, and they live in fear. To love on those that are sick or in prison, to love on the least of these. Christ tells us what we do to the least of these we've done to him. You see, if love is just convenient, and if love is just conditional, it's not true love. It's not. To live a truly cruciform way of love, we have to go out of our way to love people. We have to be inconvenienced to love people. And we have to sacrificially love people. That's the only way we can truly do it if we want to look like the Christ. It's what Jesus Christ did. It's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. That's the good news of the gospel. It's where it all starts. It starts with Christ. He is the model of cruciform love in the gospel. And I'm going to share the gospel with you now because that is the most important thing. If you take nothing else from today, I want you to know what God has done. You see... He did an amazing work when we couldn't do anything. He did an amazing, amazing work because our work was never going to be good enough. You see, you were created on purpose and for a great purpose. That was to have a right relationship with God. That's why you're here. It's to have a right relationship with the Lord. That's why Adam and Eve were created, made in God's image to have a relationship with him but unfortunately because of the sin that came into this world through Adam and Eve. Sin that is carried on through all of, every one of us. The inherited sin we get from our parents, the imputed sin from Adam, and we have our personal sin. The sin that comes to us today, we are separated from a perfect and holy God. Sin acts as a barrier, something that's between us and God. 
But God in all his wisdom saw our greatest need, and that was for a Savior. So at just the right moment in time, he sent down his one and only son, Jesus Christ. We're born of a virgin. We sang about that today. I believe in the virgin birth. And he lived a sinless life. He did what we could not do. He walked fully in the will of God. And then Christ took on cruciform love. Where he went to the cross, where he was nailed to that cross to bear the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. Christ died and he was buried and he arose on the third day proving he was who he says he was and he can do what he says he can do. He was God. He overcame death. He defeated death once and for all. The Bible tells us if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. God loves us just like we are. So much that Christ died for us while we were sinners. But you don't have to live that way. You don't have to carry that burden on your own. You can hand it all over to Jesus and you can come into the family of God. And then he's going to send you right back out. He's going to take you out of that broken world. He's going to give you a new life, a new heart, and he's going to put you right back into it to be his messenger, to be his light, to take this love that God is pouring onto us and we're to pour it on others so that they can know this hope we have. That's why we're here. That's my prayer for you. If, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's the first step. I pray today is the day you can hand it all over to him. Truly, you can repent of your sins. Confess them all to him. We just saw that if we'll confess them, if we'll own our sins, and then give them to him, he will forgive us. And I pray that's your first step. Don't hold on to any sin. Even if you're a believer, don't hold on to that sin. Give it to God. If you've already put your faith in Christ, we're called to go out to live this cruciform love. Not in a way that leads people astray, that affirms their sin, but in a way that shows them the love God has for them and what he's going to do for them. It's not anything I can do. It's not anything you can do. It's only what the Holy Spirit and God can do. But we are the light he's sending out into the darkness. We are the ones he's chosen, and God chooses some pretty weird vessels. But I'm thankful he chose us. Go out and love on your neighbors this week. Seriously. The ones that don't want to talk to you. The one that hasn't talked to you forever because you threw your grass clippings in his side of the driveway the other last year, and he's been mad at you ever since. Go love on him. Go ask for forgiveness. The neighbor that every time they see you, they go to the other side of the street because they know you're going to talk to them about Jesus. Go talk to them about Jesus. Seriously. We don't know what tomorrow brings, and it may be too late. Let me pray, and then if anybody has any prayers, come up and visit with us as we sing our last hymn. I'll be up here. Don't be shy. Come on up. We're not going to do a call in the middle. We're going to sing through this hymn. But come on up. Love to be able to pray for you. As the worship man wants to come on up, I'm going to pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the breath in our lungs the breath of life that you have given to each and every one of us, just a sign of your grace and mercy and your desire for us. Lord, what an amazing gift you have offered to this world. The, the chance at redemption, the chance to, to, to set aside our brokenness, to set aside our sins, to lay them over and to put on the righteousness that is Jesus Christ. So, Father, that's my prayer today.
I pray that we see that first new form of love, that cruciform love came from Christ as he was nailed on that cross to pour his blood out. I pray for those who have not let that blood wash over them that today is the day. We are to put on Christ, not to be in the way of the flesh. Father, you want us fully. And I pray today there is someone listening online, someone here, someone who will one day hear this message that goes, I can't do this. I can't carry this anymore. But Jesus, you can. And I pray they confess their sins and bask in that moment of freedom as they have been washed clean. Lord, for those of us who have put our faith in you, Lord, let us not forget the price that's been paid and what we've been called to do. You didn't call us to go and hide in our little coveys. You didn't call us to hide in our little buildings. You told us to go and be a city on a hill. Lord, let the flame that you have put into us be caught by those around us. Let us go and love on those who don't love us. Let us love on those who are different than us, that look different, that sound different, that act different. Let us not try to hold them to standards they don't know yet. Lord, we can't expect our unbelieving neighbor to walk in all you will. They don't even know you. Let us be the vessel you use for them to know you. Let us love on them unconditionally. Let us love on them sacrificially. And let us love on them in truth. And I pray in the end that we are forgotten and only you are remembered. And we rejoice that the kingdom has grown. So Father, I pray you'll be with us as we go out this week. Use us, Lord. Oh, Lord, use us. We know that the night is nearing end and the day is coming. May we be found faithful until you return or you call us home. So we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your perfect and beautiful name and all God's people said, amen.